Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete. And this is Peyton. And we're here with Church Planner Podcast number 23, the one about money, getting more money. Yes, and like the 23rd Psalm says, Pete, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want (laughs) anything. I shall not need anything. So we're talking about money, just let everyone know. Last night, I'm laying in bed, watching the tube as we fall asleep, wife's already knocked out. And I'm watching a show called American Greed. Now, you don't have cable, so you may not know what this show is. No, I'm too holy. (laughs) Well, it's called American Greed. It's on CNBC, which is hands down the best uh, financial station um, out there. So, I mean, I still run an investment advisory firm. And and so I'm fascinated by the show because it's always got the scam artists, right? The guys who rip people off. So I'm watching last night. Last night, they've come out like this new series called The Fugitives. So you get to hear what they did. Obviously, they get convicted because they're fugitives. So I'm watching it, and it it goes to a commercial. I flip away. I come back, and uh, they mention this guy's name. And I go, oh, that's so funny, man. I got a client with that name. Oh, no. And then they mention the guy's first name. And I'm like, wait a second. That's his first name. And then they show him. I'm like, dude, that's my client. Oh, my gosh. So I'm, like, glued to it. Well, he ended up being a victim, not the perpetrator. And um, he's been my client, I don't know, since 2007, 2008, something like that. So I'm, like, doing the math in my head. I'm, like, dude, all of this stuff went down. He got swindled out of, like, 400 grand. All of this stuff went down. And I'd known him the whole time. And I'm, like, why didn't he ever, you know, ask me? But, you know, so I actually this morning I had to call him. I'm like, hey, I saw you on TV last night. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I wondered how many calls I would get today. I go, how many have you got? He goes, well, you're the first. I'm like, I'm the first. I'm the yeah, first. Yeah, man. 
You know, it's funny. Um, my dad did work in Hollywood. And uh, it was really funny. He was kind of plugged in at one time. And uh, like when he died, I got a, a letter and a phone call from Charlton Heston. And wow. uh, he's like, sorry to hear about your dad, you know. And uh, anyways, my dad was on all these TV shows like um, Columbo. Um, you know, you made me think of it because America's Most Wanted, right? Like uh, there was this really creepy episode called Lockerbone Jones. My dad's last name happened to be Jones. And uh, it it was my dad playing the guy that uh, had killed someone and put him in a locker in his shed. Oh, no. And then, uh, you know, years later, someone buys a house and they, they're like, hey, what's in this? You know, and uh, they open it up and there's a human skeleton in this in this suitcase. And it's just weird, man, because every once in a while, my dad will pop up on TV. Did people think and, it was uh, your dad? Well, I kind of did. It was weird, like watching him. It, you know, because you're watching this creepy dude, and it was my dad, you know, like playing the dude. So it was like, it, it was weird. It was weird. So anyways. So yeah, we're going to be talking about how to swindle people or not swindle and, people? Well, yes, and then dispose of the remains afterwards. Oh, lovely. Yep. If you got a shed in a suitcase, you're golden. What? <laughs> <laughs> Inside joke that you will find out when you open the pages of Church Planner magazine. You, eventually, we're saving make, that gym. You, that you're seriously going to make me put that in the? Uh... I am going to make you put it in, <laughs> and even if nobody else laughs, we will go to our graves happy that we we'll put laugh, that in the magazine. Jeff Vanderstel will laugh, and maybe David Achado will laugh. Maybe. Yeah, David Achado will laugh. He better sure. laugh because he will laugh and cry. <laughs> yes. Hey, so, I, I, by the way, I hear you were doing a uh, podcast with um, Scott Blair, the Wrestling with God podcast. Yeah, that was a great podcast. Uh, that guy can that guy can deliver, man. What he I thought a- was funny is, you know, after you did that podcast, you're like, yeah, I just did it with him, and uh, and I go, so you know, the train went by, right? And you're like, yeah. Well, he goes, hey, I know all about the train. I know about the dog from your guys' podcast. Don't worry. I edit all that stuff out. <laughs> and I'm thinking in the back of my head, we don't edit any of that stuff out. <laughs> like, No. That, that's kind of our rules. We don't edit. We he, told Frank Viola on the uh, show last week. We said we don't edit anything. And so we were joking around. And at one point, uh, we made a, a, a remark. And Frank's like, you got to take that out. And we're like, no, nope. man. Nope. Not taking it out. <laughs> It stays in. Absolutely. I think the only thing we've ever edited is one time you had to go to the bathroom, and I'm like, all right, this will edit out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I tried to get you to record me, but you were like, no, that's inappropriate. But hey, so we're here talking about. Saving the blooper reel. Absolutely. That would be a big reel, man. <laughs> I tell you what, we are talking about finances. If you're here with the, the, the podcast for the first time, you're going, dude, these guys are like heckle and jekyll, man. We prefer to think of ourselves as a beavis and butthead of, uh, of church planning. You know, I was thinking, Pete, it's been a while since it's just been the two of us on this thing. We've I know. Been interviewing people. I know. Just the two of us. So if you're joining us, you're going, who in the heck are these freaks? Look, um, here's the deal. Maybe, maybe it's like, you know, Pinkman and, and Heisenberg back in business, baby. Just me and you in the mobile home. I'm not making the blue meth. I'm making a living, baby. We're talking about making money. We're going to talk about bivocational church planning today. And uh, we are we are not encouraging you to cook crystal meth in, a, uh, in an RV. But 
I, I am saying Pete and I are looking to get a Winnebago. We um, are. So if you yeah. if you have a Winnebago or you 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 want to donate a Winnebago or you can't get rid of a, a Winnebago, um, Pete and I are here to to help you out. And it doesn't and, matter and, how old it is; it just needs to be running, and like no significant uh, tickets or anything that we have to pay to have it registered in our name. Yeah, and we're we're gonna wrap it with uh, Church Planner because we went to a conference and they told us that. Uh, we couldn't advertise there. So we're just pulling our Winnebago up into the most conference guys want to partner with us, uh, with the magazine. But this one conference was, was like, no, you know, we, we, we don't want you to, to do anything here, which was unusual. That's not, that's not the spirit of most church planner. We're like, dude, we need a Winnebago and we need to wrap it. And we just need to pull up in the parking lot and just, just take pull right it up the near front. the entrance. Yeah, yeah exactly. right in the entrance. Everyone's got to walk around the Winnebago. Yeah. And we'll be doing interviews live from the Winnebago. Yeah, and then we talked about hiring dwarfs and ninja costumes that would come <laughs> running out with like handing out our flyers, but you we thought that might get You talked about that. You wanted to create I'll some take credit. Uh, some uh, uh church planning ninjas. And so then you're like I still remember our conversation you're like, you know you can like get them out of the yellow pages, right? Little people, you can rent them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Nobody like, believes you on that, but it's 100% true. Dude, I know it's true, but it's just funny because you're like, you can rent them, man. You can get them out of the yellow pages. Like, there's even a yellow pages around. There, but, it, it is. And, but uh, it does beg the question, how many little people can you fit into a Winnebago? I think that's, that's the question I got. I doubt there's even a section in the Guinness Book of World Records for that. <laughs> it could be so many. I don't think we, we could, could be afford. the first, Pete. But could you hey, imagine, would, like, we pull up to the front of a conference that wouldn't let us, like, advertise and, and, and video there, and we open up the door to the Winnebago, and, like, 150 little ninjas come <laughs> running out. Dude, that would be epic. It would be and, the best. And if we video, it would be, like, you know, that would be, like, the ultimate promotion for Church Planner Magazine, man. And then, like, uh, you know, we it would go viral. I guarantee you that go viral. It'd go viral in the church planning community, so like ten people would see it. It'd be, it'd be amazing. especially if they're like jumping around and swinging like plastic samurai swords, doing flips. Dude, that'd be if, awesome. If, if anybody who listens to this has a Winnebago or a hookup <laughs> with about 150 little people <laughs> and very small ninja costumes and very small, yeah, because you know this could really become cost prohibitive. The uh, the further we go with this idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, before we get on to our, our topic at hand, I have to tell you what just happened to me because it's it's actually kind of funny, man. All right. So this week has, has for me, not been one of the, uh, the better weeks of my life. And I don't have bad weeks. I really don't. I mean, I'm not the type of guy who's like carrying over, oh, you know, this went horrible. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, suck it up, move on to the next thing. But it's been just a really stressful week. A lot of things have happened. And uh, what what people don't know is that you and I actually just recorded the podcast only to find out that we needed to re-record it. Mm. So I, I, you know, we recorded the, the podcast. I get in my car and I'm driving to a good old Taco Hell because I loved Taco Hell. And I saw a commercial the other night for this thing called the uh, Triple Steak Stack. Mm. It's like this just bunch of steak wrapped in this flatbread. <laughs> and I'm like, I've been salivating for this sucker for like two or three days, right? 
totally just like cannot wait to get me one of those. So I figured, you know, today's perfect, right? You know, there's there's wife's not making me lunch. I'm gonna go get me my my triple steak stack. So I get all the way over to Taco Bell, go through the drive-through, get my my triple steak stack, which I might add has got to be the most expensive thing I've ever bought at Taco Bell before. But figured, mm. hey, triple the steak. I'm, I'm I'm willing to to splurge a little bit on this sucker, and I'm not kidding. Literally, this is after you know horrible week. We just recorded the podcast to find out we needed to re-record it, and I pulled this thing out of the bag while it's still in its wrapper, just gushes steak juice all down my shirt and my <laughs> shorts. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been looking awesome. forward to this, and I open it up, and it's <laughs> soggy. You know, the commercial made this thing look like it was just beautiful, and it's soggy. And I'm like, oh, this is just – got to be kidding me, man. You've got to be Dude, kidding me. Your triple-decker steak taco gave you a wet, sloppy kiss. I'm telling you, it was nasty. <laughs> so awesome. my advice to everyone, if you go to Taco Bell, do not pick up the triple steak stack deal it's not worth it no it's, it's not worth it at all so anyway on to our on to our topic at hand we're, we're talking today about uh bivocational church planning money yeah. and the church planner so um kick us off Peyton. what are your initial thoughts on the topic we need money is that is that where you're going to start with <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think the place to start with church planners is, you know, all, all of us kind of like, you know, little girls dream about growing up and becoming princesses and getting married and having, you know, scrapbooking holidays. Um, <clears throat> I have two girls. I know this. Um, one's just a baby. She can't tell me that, but I know. My other one's four, and she is definitely wanting to grow up, be a princess, and marry daddy, which you know, I'm kind of cool with that. But um, guys, when they grow up, everything's around what we want to be, right? We want to be a fireman, a, a, a policeman. When you go into ministry, it's kind of like the the – you know, the, the goal, the, the holy grail, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the ring of power is, is being a head pastor and having, uh, you know, the full-time job and, you know, kind of like, uh, Lee Iacocca said, success is having the key to the executive restroom. Um, you know, you, you want to make it, you want to get there, you want to arrive. And so, a lot of guys think of that as kind of like the full-time pastoral gig and, and guys feel like they've made it finally. Oh, I can rest. You know, I'm, I'm on staff. You know, that's kind of like the, the end all be all. You know, it's like the, you know, the oomph degree black belt. You know, it's like blowing up the Death Star. You made it, you know. Um, but I got to tell you for church planners, it's, it's not actually the case. Um, you, you actually, for a church planner, are, are better served in many ways by being bi- bivocational. And this is funny because we've never had to re-record a podcast. And I, we I probably think should have in the past, but chose not to. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny because you were thinking of that triple-decker steak sandwich. And I was thinking of an egg sandwich I was going to pick up. Um, when I was going to, we should never, ever do a podcast when we're both thinking of food. But <laughs> Don't uh, do one hungry. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. a lesson. 
Steak. Ooh, chocolate. But, uh, you know, it was the, the Homer Simpson factor got a hold of us. That was all we could think about. But, um, you know, in, in the earlier podcast, uh, you know, we were just talking about the fact that um, I, I was saying, you know, I, I started to say, you know, um, I, I mean, in all the years I've been uh, church planning, the only time I, I wasn't bivocational, and then I went, was never. I don't think I've ever realized that before. I've always been a bivocational church planner, and I, and I've had to be. And and part of the reason for that, Pete, is because you're freed up. Like like mission, the number one thing that holds back mission is money, right? We could do anything if we had enough money. Uh, and and there's tons of guys out there that would go into ministry if we could pay them. So right away, the gospel seems to be limited by money, right? And what you do when you become bivocational is you the completely... The gospel seems to be limited by money? Not the gospel, but mission. We okay, I thought you seem... said the gospel seems to be limited by money. No, no, sorry, sorry. Thanks for clarifying that. Hopefully I didn't say that. Uh, that's that's what happens after I eat, and the blood goes to my stomach, and then there's not as the much in sandwich? my brain. <laughs> I did, but I had to come home and make it, because I was picking up my daughter from ballet practice, and she had a meltdown. So it was like, okay, we're getting in the car, we're going. So I made my own, which, who knows, when you're cooking your own food, and you're me, you know, it could be any any degree of poison in there. So I might be dying, Pete. We'll but, miss you. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's the deal, though. Um, what was I saying? Mission Pete, is limited. Mission is limited by money. Thank, thank you. As I was saying, the gospel is limited by money. No, just joking. The the mission is is limited, or seemingly so, by money. The reason why is because of the way we've built the equation. Um, we only think. I mean, Paul was poor. He was naked. He was hungry. Paul completely disarmed that equation when he became a, a, a tent maker. And that's exactly once I became a tent maker, I was like, I can do whatever in the heck I want. As long as my needs are met and I'm full-time supported, I don't have a board that can tell me no. I don't have people saying, oh, we don't have the finances for that. I can do whatever in the heck I want. I can go anywhere. I can plant anywhere. As long as I can work with my hands and make a living, I am absolutely free. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came for the outcast? And that's exactly what we don't want to become is the outcast. Hmm. And so, so true. we're looking for, you know, the money. We want the full-time gig. No one wants to be a failure. Like my first business venture, I stayed in it probably two or three years longer than I should have. And it's because hmm. I didn't want to be seen as a failure. And if I was still in it, if I was still doing it, you know, I, it just hasn't popped yet. I'm not a failure yet. But as soon as you walk mm. away, you're like, well, I failed at that. At this point in my life, I'm like, dude, I, I want to fail quickly. If it's not going to yeah. work, I want out and on to the next one. But but it's interesting because, um, you know, church planners specifically, right, if, if the goal was I want to be a senior pastor, like if that really is the holy grail to a church planner, which I don't know because that's obviously never been of any interest to me. But if it is, and so you're like, okay, well, no one's going to give me the mega church. <clears throat> I don't want to take this little, uh, you know, Baptist church over here or this little Calvary over there or whatever. So, 
you decide to start your own church or you feel called to start your own church, whatever it is. I don't know if you just decided or you, you feel called. And then you discover, man, you know, it's pretty tough. And gosh, not everyone's ponying up their 10% like they're supposed to, right? Mm. And so you're like, well, I don't want to go get a job because if I do that, it's almost like a sign of failure. It's almost like, mm. you know, my church can't support me, so I must be doing something wrong, but I don't really want people to know that. And I don't think that's the case. I just think that's, you know, us. Yeah, man. You know, and and I love I love what you're saying there because that's so true with church planning. What we do is we we go into an area and the focus becomes the church, not the community. Right. Or or the loss. So I'm going we tell people we don't go out, you know, to our mission board or to our sending church and say, I'm gonna go reach a loss in this community. We say, I'm gonna start a church and here's the brand name. And the brand name is like we're a refuge, maybe another one. Our buddy started one called Vision. We got the door up in Oregon. You know, we put a, a kind of like a sexy church. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, up in Whittier, that's a new breed church. So we've got these, these names and the focus for us is the church that we're starting. And, and like you said, it, it, we, we've got to see that church survive. Well, the way that Paul did it was Paul was a tent maker. He had absolute freedom. He could go any town, any city, go into the marketplace, set up a stall and mend or make tents for people. And as you know, we say tense, but it's usually leather working. So Paul goes in there and he's a leather worker. Now, here is the cool thing. Um, Paul in the book of Acts, you'll see that he visits towns and he preaches the gospel there. Nothing happens. So what does he do? He moves on. I mean, I've, I've stood in, in, in cities in Asia Minor or, or modern day Turkey where Paul went or Greece and nothing happened. And he just moved on. And that that's that was his model. So what you're saying about, you know, yeah, I stuck with this because I don't want to be seen as a failure. We are tethering success to a church brand and a church hmm. brand name. I mean, that's really insightful, man. No, that's pretty interesting, too, because I, I completely agree with you that we get so caught up in our idea of what church is. And so therefore yeah. we've got our idea of what a successful church is, what a struggling church is, what a, a failing church is. And, you know, the, the big push at, uh, you know, one of these uh, last church conferences that you and I have gone to uh, has been the whole idea of discipleship, right? Yeah. Christ didn't say, go and make churches. You know, go and set up buildings, go and, you know, uh, make cathedrals for people to come to. He said, go and make disciples. Yet, yeah. what we focus on is churches. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I mean, almost all the things that we focus on are just so not what God focuses on. It's, it's yeah. not even what concerns him. You know, what concerns him is our hearts. What concerns him is where we're at as people, where we're at yeah. in relationship to him and where we're at in relationship to him uh, kind of determines how we treat others. You know, um, yeah, this is kind of off the subject, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've been thinking about this a lot uh, lately. And in, in, in the Christian business world, we, we give ourselves this stamp of approval 
and and we tell everybody, you know, let me tell you about this guy over here, you know, to let him know he's one of us. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a Christian. Blah 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 blah. And so we'll say, you know, he he models the idea of God first, family second, business third. And we pat ourselves on the back and we're like, yeah, this is this is fantastic. But that's not really biblical. Like what's biblical is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And nowhere in that equation is there, oh, and then, you know, business is third after that. Mm. Mm. But we've totally taken, but it sounds great, right? You know, it sounds great. You know, the Marines got God, country, core, right? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. But that's, but that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is, love me with everything and then love yeah. each other. Yeah. And because that's, right, that's what's really most important to God. And it's not the building. It's not the church. It's, you know, it's completely different. But I, I just, I find it fascinating some of the things that you're saying because it just, it is what we focus on, but it's not what God is focusing on at no. all. And and the thing that people love about church plants is exactly what you said, that it's about, it's not about the institution. There is no institution yet. It's all about people. And mm-hmm. so people come in and they're like, oh, this church feels different. What is it about this? And people are just, they're just there for each other and they're there for the Lord and you're there for the lost. And that's tangible. You actually feel that. People feel that when they walk in the door. And it's not this big machine that has to keep going. And I'm not saying that size makes you a machine. It's your DNA. You know, yeah. are we there to serve a church? And I, I think, you know, just to start off, that's a real good check you know, on, uh, on the church planner, you know, just by and large, you know, uh, uh, what is your measure of success? So if your personal measure of success, you want to be able to write home to mom and say, Hey, I'm a Pinocchio is a real boy now, you know, I, I'm a reverend, you know, or, or I'm on staff and I'm ordained, you know, Hey, I'm hey. a reverend. You saw my email. <laughs> That's the funniest ordination certificate I've ever seen. I've been ordained, baby. I can do yeah, weddings baby. and funerals. What? Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. Pete Sorry. did get one. Is oh man, he sent me an email with an ordination certificate. It was awesome. It was online so, and it was free, baby. It was free. Yeah. We we interviewed Mike Cheshire and he's like, oh yeah, man, I got ordained on the internet. You know, I had to do a, fun- a funeral or wedding. Next thing I know, the next day, <laughs> Pete sends me an email and I and I wrote him back. I said, you're not allowed to hang out with Mike Cheshire anymore. He's a bad influence on you. <laughs> Sorry, man. Pete just, didn't waste any time. <laughs> I totally just I totally just stole that whole conversation away from what you were talking about. You were talking about success and okay, we're a reverend now, so. Anyway, All go right. from there. So, so Pete Pete wrote home to his parents and said, hey, I'm a reverend. Dude, if I ever showed my family go, oh, that, they'd really? probably be so offended. They'd be like, you're so oh, not saved. Oh, dude, the family business carrying on. Hey, so anyway, so so going back to this, you know, uh, the, the question is, are you thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, man, I'm seeing the church plant as something to make me a full-time minister. If that's how you're thinking, I'm just saying to you right away, um, you're thinking backwards. Mm. Because what most guys who have been in this game for a number of years have come to realize is that being out in the workplace is the most effective way to reach your community for Christ. 
And and it's such a backwards way of thinking when we think the goal is to get myself on full time paid staff. And and just my story, not to, I think I put it on the second podcast, maybe the first. I I know the first two we talk about us. Pete and I were joking today about we're amazed if anyone ever came back after that, but but people did. We we're convinced they skipped ahead to three and four, but. The reality is that uh, when I went overseas as a missionary, I, uh, you know, I, 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 my support dropped in half after nine eleven, and when that happened, I had to go work in a factory. And after being a year as an evangelist, um, having to work in the workplace, people got saved left and right. As soon as I had a quote unquote secular job. Um, I I found real ministry started to happen. And so one of the things that God strategically did for me is he took me the backwards route. I started off at 19 years old part-time by the by the time I was I think 20 um I was full-time uh on paid staff um became an assistant pastor at my church way too young. But ever since then, God's gradually been freeing me up from what I would call the curse of full-time ministry. And I learned that on the factory floor or, you know, in the, in the back of house as a barista or, you know, in a, in a medical institution or wherever it is, wherever I work, as long as I'm out amongst people, that was God's strategic uh, missionary strategy for me. And think about it. You're the church planner. Why would God want you locked up in an office just reading books all the time? Hmm. Sounds like a great secret weapon to me. Hmm. Well, you know, um, why don't you share with everyone the story that uh, Hugh Halter talked about in his book, Bivo? Well, you know, that was awesome, Pete, because you, uh, you, you were, you brought up, I love the insights that you bring to this program because it's always stuff that for me, like, uh, you know, I read a certain number of books and, and you're reading different books. And I, I love the perspective you brought when we were talking a few weeks ago about, uh, church planning organizations that'll chuck 200, $200,000 at a church planner. And I mean, you know, if we had that, we would definitely buy a Winnebago and, <laughs> you know, hire, hire a team of, uh, people An endless that are, supply of little people. I was going to say people that are vertically challenged in case we now need to step it up and be PC, but uh, with ninja costumes, but, but, you know, you brought up the point that in the millionaire next door, a book that you had read, they had brought up the fact that, uh, parents who are millionaire, multimillionaires or millionaires, very well off when they kick down that money to their kids, they call that, uh, economic outpatient care. And what they've shown is that those, because those, those kids didn't work for the money, um, they don't appreciate it and they don't give a return on that investment. So the money usually goes down the drain. And I thought it was interesting. We were talking about church planning and you just saw, huh, I've seen this work before. Um, and, and you kind of, uh, you just had an insight and you said, you know, I would think that that wouldn't work. And so I was reading through this book, uh, Bivo by Hugh Halter. And this is what he says. He actually connects the dots exactly what you kind of saw in the business world. I don't think that would work too well. Um, Hugh says, for instance, 
Uh, this is from Bivo again. It's from uh, Missio Publishing. Uh, you can get this, I believe, from their website. I don't think it's on Amazon yet, but uh, you can definitely go to their website and check it out. But it says, uh, for instance, one denomination we were working with sent out 40 new church plant teams, gave them each $250,000, and within five years had only one success story. That's $10 million down the old church hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I think is really interesting about that is, <clears throat> you know, the whole idea of economic outpatient care, that really had an impact on me when I read it. Because when I read the book, you're looking at the stats, you're looking at essentially what we would call trust fund kids. And when I even say that term, everyone's got an image that comes up in their head of what a trust fund kid is. I immediately think of Paris Hilton, even though now she's been written out of the, uh, Hilton Fortune, uh, thanks to her her antics, and she's actually making money now. But uh, you know, for the longest time, she was a basic trust fund kid. So the money came to her without accountability, without responsibility. She didn't work for it; it was literally dumped on her. And you know, the end result is you've got this kid out there doing a lot of crazy stuff. So in in the business world, I mean. I see the same thing could very easily happen in a nonprofit, in a church, especially a, a startup like that, where, um, I mean, $250,000 for a church plant, mm. that is huge. I mean, yeah, oh, man. my gosh, that is huge. Yeah, what we're in the wrong network, Pete. Apparently, what would you do for $250,000? <laughs> we're <laughs> back just now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, you know, and here's the thing is that uh, it's kind of like that that model. I, th I don't think most guys that are planning churches know what in the heck to do with 250. One of the things that I love that uh, Bible brings yeah. out is he, he says, look, you know, um, church is cheap. The only thing that you have to pay for is what you centralize. So, okay, so in Hugh Halter, and, and please understand, you know, recently we've had, um, we try to have a mix on the program. So we're not just selling one model or one point of view. We had Frank Viola, who would be like the polar opposite to, to Mike Cheshire, right? Mike Cheshire's more of a, I can't even say that Mike's an attractional, uh, because Mike is out there in the community. Mike is an amazing blend of missional, and attractional, which is my personal favorite. I, I kind of think, why choose one or the other? Let's, let's, let's do it all, man. Black Panther philosophy by, by any means necessary, right? So, uh, you know, but Hugh's very much a missional community and he's, he's pretty gracious. He's not saying this is the only way, but, but what I love is he breaks down in the book Bible. He says, uh, the things that we centralize, we have to pay for. So when we, when we decentralize, in other words, we're in someone's living room, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, someone bakes pumpkin bread and, you know, they brew coffee in their coffee maker and somebody teaches the group of 10 to 20. Um, you don't got to pay for Jack, right? I mean, it was just, you know, maybe you paid for petrol in your car and sorry, that was a British petrol term. gasoline. I yeah. don't even know what that is. I, sorry, man. 12 years in Wales. My, my brain's always getting it wrong. I'm, I'm jacked up in two countries now. But, uh, so you paid, you paid your, you know, your, my, but there's no overhead. And when we centralize everything, suddenly there's buttloads of overhead. And so he breaks down what do you want to centralize and what don't you. I'll just real quick read to you um, uh, what he said 
that they centralize and what they don't. Um, he said, we decentralize shepherding, teaching, crisis intervention, pastoral care, community, evangelism, discipleship, giving, social action, blessing, discipleship, and our children. That means we don't have to pay for a teaching pastor, discipleship pastor, missions pastor, or children's pastor. But we centralize vision, corporate worship, and communion, training, some of the giving and connection for our kids. Thus, we do have to pay minimally for a gathering space in which to do this and some part-time staff to help equip the congregation to do all of the decentralized stuff. And then now here was an amazing uh, uh, kind of conclusion of this. He says, again, because we see our missional communities as the main thing, we find incredible nimbility and stability and everything gets done for a fraction of the cost. Several friends of mine passed their large churches in Denver. During a recent snowstorm, one of the mega churches had to cancel their Sunday services. So did we. A few days later, I called Tony and asked him what closing down for a week did to them as a church. He said, well, it was a great break for me personally, but it will take the church at least six months to recover financially from losing one week's offering." He followed up with the same question to me. How did it affect you? I replied, yeah, I had a great day off too, but all I did was send a Facebook notice out that said, enjoy the snow. Hmm. Because we don't take our offering on Sunday, but teach people to give silently through the mail or direct deposit, and because our communities still get together and have learned to do most of church outside of the church gathering, we not only survive a bad snowstorm, we actually have fun and enjoy it. <laughs> so the the lesson from that is either... Um if you live in an area that snows, have a decentralized church like uh, Hugh Alters, <laughs> or uh, come to California where it never snows and you don't have to worry about that. Absolutely. Or it's 80, 80 degrees year-round. Absolutely. And, you know, what? everybody wants church plant in California or Florida, man. <laughs> but but what's great about Hugh is he, he just asks you to examine it. What are you called to do? And what I love is he reverses the value. So if you've seen um, the goal as being full-time staff, right, ecclesiastical, you know, workers, Hugh flips it around and says, actually, most of us that have been in this game for a while, we see Bivo as being, hey, this is cool. And so we started off talking about finances weeks ago, Pete, seems like uh, forever, doesn't it? Yeah. Like uh, I was saying earlier, we dusted off the old microphone because we haven't really done our studio quality for a while. We've been on the phone or we've been in a restaurant, and here we are now again, just the two of us doing this here. And um, it's kind of cool because we're, we're able to pick up again um, from now, I think it was three weeks ago, where we first introduced how do you fund your church plant. And we talked at first about uh, gathering a support team. And you've got to start seeing yourself as a missionary. Do you know that most missionaries nowadays, they don't just go to the country and, you know, get their visa and say, I am a missionary. The country says, what do you bring into the community? What do you bring into the country? What do you bring into the mix? So I just watched a, a documentary about a guy who was a coffee roaster and he went to um, India and he set up a coffee roasting business in India. Hmm. And it was it was dynamite because, you know, he had a skill that that was, you know, not not all that common there. He was training um, hosts of people to do exactly what he does. Um, he started a shop. He's employing people. And, uh, you know, he was 
he was a part of the community. He was actually a part of the, the waff and, and warp of the fabric of the community he was planning in. And it was so killer because it was just showing natural gospel conversations taking place in a, in a Hindu, I mean, in a, a Muslim community. And so if you look at where we're at today, um, that's exactly uh, what a bivocational pastor is doing. He's a missionary. So you may need to be partially supported. Uh, and we talked about the newsletter. You've got to start seeing yourself as a missionary. But if you're a missionary, you're not going to reach the world from behind your desk. You've got to get out amongst the people and function like Paul. Get straight out into the marketplace. Yeah, you know, um, we we mentioned this before, too, in, in one of the other podcasts that we've done, that my personal view is that sales is one of the great um, – vocations for people to be in while they're a church planner or even for that matter, full-time mm-hmm. pastor, just because, and, and certain types of sales, like uh, there's a, uh, a church planner, I new England somewhere. And I saw it on Facebook, you know, Hey, pray for our church plant. And also for my real estate business, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's how I make my living. And I just remember reading that thinking, okay, this guy's a stud because real estate to me is one of those uh, unique businesses that you can make really good money and it doesn't have to control your life. Now, most real estate agents uh, understand this. They're, they're horrible. They're hor- horrible at selling. They're horrible at marketing. They're horrible at, hmm. at all that stuff. So they make no money. But when you're properly trained, I think it's a fantastic business to be in because like here in California, a real estate agent will make on a transaction in LA County an average of eight thousand dollars, and in Orange County anywhere from ten to twelve thousand, based on the the price of the homes. I have no idea what it is in New England, um, but it's five dollars. <laughs> but my point is, is that it's a great business to be in because you get to control your day. So if you're trying to be a church planner. And you've got all that stuff that comes up from being a pastor, right? Mm. Someone needs to counsel. They, they need help with something. You've got a lot more freedom going for you than if you work like a regular nine-to-five job So somewhere. true. That's so true. Pete. Same thing is true with other uh, facets of selling insurance, sales, financial planning, sales. And one thing that I've, I've cautioned uh, before is that – if you're a pastor, depending on what you sell and what you do, you need to be really careful about how you involve your church with that. Um, I, I would just probably encourage you not to sell to anyone in your congregation, um, especially if you're in financial planning. And, and the reason yeah. for that is when something goes wrong and stuff will go wrong, right? Either the, the stock market tanks or um, – they get a divorce and they have to uh, take out half their money and they find out there's all these surrender penalties. You become the enemy and everything you stand for becomes evil. Mm. And it's just not a position you want to be in. So, I mean, if you've ever got to deal with people inside your congregation, you know, kind of the term that I use, it's not really fitting, but hopefully you'll understand it is you got to use kid gloves. And that means like, if you're doing financial planning, you need to be ultra conservative you know, ultra disclosing of everything and just basically tell people like these, but I just, I personally would stay out of selling the yeah. congregation altogether. 
I agree. Certain I think, things you can get away with. You want to sell coffee, go for it. <laughs> sell that to anybody. No, I. you know what? I think you're, uh, you're spot on, man. I think um, if you're in a position of ministry, you should not be locked into any kind of financial obligation to them or them to you. I think that uh, you're right, man. It, 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 you know, in so many ways, you have to stay objective anyways as people's pastor because, you know, you, you have to be able to 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 say some difficult things at times and speak into their life. And you can't be a butt kisser. And unfortunately, in in business, sometimes you kiss people's butt. Yeah, you're and trying to make I, a sale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you got to sell it, from honesty, integrity, and and things like that, and character, but. You know, at the, at the end of the day is you need someone to buy in order for you to make money. So Absolutely. So, you know, you shouldn't be whining and dining your people. You should be, you know, shepherding them. And um, sometimes shepherding means that you got to take the staff out and give them a little whacking and get them home. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it, 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 Pete, when it comes to um, managing your schedule, like, like, what other jobs would you say would be good for something like that? Well, that's kind of a tougher one for me to answer only because I don't even understand everything that a church planner does. I mean, you know, you you do a lot as a church planner and probably have a, a much greater feel for that. But as far as like just making money, there are a lot of things I think that people can do that can create a really good income that don't have to monopolize their time. Um, hmm. and, and one is the idea of, you know, selling services and things like that. So I'll, I'll just give you a brief example. We brought this up at the, uh, the, the church, uh, leadership meeting. You asked me to sit in on it a couple of weeks back and, um, there's a concept. It, first of all, every business needs new customers. All right. So that's, that's kind of like what every business needs. You, you always need uh, more people coming into your shop, buying your wares, so that way you could make money. So that means every business has to advertise. So one of the uh, the ideas that I've seen done all over the country, and to me it's just a, an absolutely fantastic idea, is basically these guys have put together a 9-inch by 12-inch oversized uh, postcard, and they sell advertising space on it. And the reason why they do it so big, I mean, that's bigger than a sheet of paper, is because there's a new program, relatively new, it's only a couple of years old, that the post office has that allows you to send out direct mail um, and basically carpet bomb a community for only 16 cents a home. I mean, you can't do that with anything else, but you can send out this oversized 9-inch by 12-inch postcard for 16 cents. And so what these guys do is they basically break it up. So think of uh, think of a Val pack if you guys have that, or a money mailer. Basically, there are these envelopes you get in the mail with like thirty or forty different advertises in it. And this postcard is just like that, except that it's a giant postcard. There's only fourteen of them, and they only sell um, one spot per industry. Whereas, like if you're in a Val pack or something like that, you're competing against you know three mm. chiropractors if you're a chiropractor. Yeah. Um, you know, 15 Italian restaurants, if you're an Italian restaurant. So, I mean, it's, it, it's definitely worth the money in most yeah. situations, but it's not as good. Yeah. And the reason why these, these guys as clients love them is because they're getting so much response. But 
my point is, is that when they sell these things, they put 14 to 16 ads on one of these oversized postcards. Yeah. They're making between uh, 2500 and 3500 on average profit. Holy cow. And you can set that thing up to work like clockwork. And you can do multiple mm. cards in multiple communities. And um, Wow. It can become money, a moneymaker money for the for church. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. <laughs> well, like Dire Straits saying. Well, I mean, think about it. You become a hero to 14 local businesses that, um, you know, I mean, that's who you're trying to become a, a hero to is in the community, right? Yeah. And and at the same time, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. You start bringing them business. They're going to be like, hey, why don't you come in here and eat for free? <laughs> so it's one, one, one of the meal. things, too, one of the things, too, uh, you know, it just makes me think when you're talking about that, because, I mean, in, in one sense, what you're doing is you're saying to our church planners, hey, this is an idea. If you want to become an entrepreneur and do this, you hit your community, you make these up. And, uh, you know, I mean, maybe at a future date, we can even put something out in Church Planner Magazine where you talk about how to do it. Um, although <laughs> that is sharing your trade secrets there, Pete. You know, yeah, that's, uh, but, but here's the deal. We do want to equip you guys and it, it is a brilliant idea. And one of the things that you start learning once you get a 501c3 registered charity is you have a secret weapon. Like you're actually able, let's say you made relationships with those businesses. Pete said that you'd be a local hero. Um, imagine now you, you're around the holidays, you say, Hey, um, you know, we're going to be doing such and such outreach to the community. Do you guys want to sponsor or donate? You already have relationship with these guys. Now suddenly you're getting them to donate. What's awesome about businesses. There's so many things as a church you don't have to buy. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why is your 501c3 is a secret weapon. You have tax deductibility. So you can issue them a receipt that they claim on their taxes. And many businesses are already going to have to pay buttloads of taxes. So you can't give them money. But what you can do is you can give it, you can make it so that they don't have to pay so much money to the government. And so having that ability, well, if you already take that have idea a little bit further, take that idea a little bit further. So let's say, um, you've got a uh, a bakery, and they know at, at a day old they've got to throw out all this, you know, bread, whatever. Yeah, snacks, goodies, and that's on a Saturday. And you're like, yeah, but it's still good. It's just they can't sell it. Yeah. Well, you could work out and formalize a deal with them. Hey, look, you're gonna throw out that food. What if I could give you a tax deductible receipt in exchange? Instead of throwing it out, you drive it over to us. And we're going to give it away every Sunday morning. There are a couple places, by the way, that um, are notorious for helping out um, 501c3s. Um, Home Depot, almost any floor model, um, anything that doesn't sell when they got to move their stock, they will literally fill it up on a pallet. You got to take the whole pallet. It's slightly off topic, but but kind of helpful too because you save costs where you can. Panera Bread. And Trader wait, Joe's. Wait, wait, wait. Go back to the Home Depot one. So they fill it up on a pallet, and then what? You just got to come pick it up. You got to come pick it up, and whatever's on the pallet, you got to take. Okay. So you either but take understand it to the, dump. the beauty of this is Craigslist, baby. Exactly. Now you've yeah. got product to sell that cost you nothing to get. I mean, other than you gave yeah. a tax deductible receipt. Exactly. And so what you're looking at is you're looking at you've got relationships with with these business owners 
And then there's gospel opportunities. I mean, shoot, man, it'd be great to get some some uh, entrepreneurs that would fund mission anyways or business owners or whatever it is. But let's get back to the actual job because that's where you were going. You were, you were just giving one example. And of course, we just spiraled off on that. But that's the genius of it. There's so many different things that you can be doing um, to work. And, and I've found personally that the jobs that pay me the least put me around people the most, mm. strangely. Um, it, it, and that's always a, a difficult toss-up because, like, for example, when I was working at Starbucks, I just remember thinking, this is just unfair to the kingdom of darkness. Like, you know, there was only an overlap between me planting, the church actually started in the Starbucks, and there was an overlap of a few months. But it turned out I had to come overseas to do something. I can't, it might have had something to do with adoption. I can't remember. But I had to be gone longer than what uh, Starbucks was willing to let me go for. And so I had to, I had to put my, my notice in. But I remember coming back thinking, Man, you know, like I'm getting paid now. I had a clinical troubleshooter job, which paid me killer money. But the amount of people that that minimum wage job, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, the amount of people that put me around Monday to Friday was incredible. And I remember thinking, this is just unfair. It's an unfair. I actually felt a little bit to the devil. Like, hey, man, this is kind of unfair for you. You know, we should even up the sides a bit because I'm meeting so many people here that uh, I can remember later telling my board, hey, guys, I, I know I'm, work- I'm teaching at the seminary now and I make great money there and it's, you know, I'm in the word all the time. So it's great. But um, I really want to extend my reach again. I'm, I'm praying about it. And they prayed with me through it. And, you know, I, I would have had to have, uh, kind of left some of the church responsibilities. And so the third factor in that is time. So you've got a toss up between money and, uh, people. You know, you, you want to be around people. That's why Paul went in the marketplace. But you also need to support your family. So minimum wage probably ain't going to do that. But the other thing is your time. And what what's genius about being, like, say, for me, when I went from Starbucks, I became the clinical troubleshooter. I worked 11 days a month. And also when I was a winter, window cleaner, I worked two days a week. So, you know, eight eight days a month or 11 days a month. That freed me up the rest of the time to uh, do ministry. But again, um, a lot of that was in-house stuff, um, preparation. The biggest amount of outreach is going to happen when you're bivocational. And so uh, I'm just saying to you that, you know, there, there are two things that you need that are essential to any church plant, prayer and outreach. And most of your outreach is going to happen when you Again, like I said, uh, you know, the, the, the guy who's called, uh, to go in there is the thin end of the wedge, actually go and penetrate into the community. Cause, you know, Pete, real quick, you know, it's like if you drop $250,000 on a lot of these church planners, man, they're going to be like, cool, man. I, I don't have to worry about money. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to hold myself up in my office and read books. I want to make the best killer service ever and everyone's going to come flock to my church. <laughs> like you exactly. know that that's the thought that's going to go through your head cuz you know I got 250 grand I I can really do a great bright bright shiny brochure to hand out to everyone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and you know it was funny cuz 
you know, in our parallel universe, right, there was a bizarro episode of, of this podcast. And, it, you know, Pete asked the question, we were talking about the 40 church plants. Remember now, this is one denomination, 40 church plants, $250,000 each, $10 million thrown at these lucky or not so lucky church planters. One success story. And Pete, you asked the question, you were like, yeah, what, what made, yeah, go on. What, what made that one successful? What was different between them and everyone else? And, and, and it's, it's an obvious answer. That one church got out into the community. That you know, was one, it. Of, one of the things that um, I thought was really interesting, I was listening to, uh, I can't remember his last name. I think it's DJ Chung or Chang um, from. Easy uh, for you to say. Yeah, I know. From the uh, social media church yeah. uh, podcast. It's C-H-U-A-N-G. I have no idea how to, I think it's Chuang. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I just murdered Chang? his name. But you know what? He's probably not listening anymore because we already made fun of little people. Not that he is one, but, you know. We've already made fun of so many people that, uh, you know, we're just offending people left and right is all my, yeah. my point. Is. He's respectable. He would be offended. He's respectable. Exactly. Respectable people would be offended. Everyone else is laughing. So if you're laughing, you're not respectable. But if um, you're here still listening, you're not respectable. <laughs> but I was listening to one of his podcasts and uh, he was at a conference one time and they were going around in a circle and they're like, okay – what would you do? Let's say we gave you $100,000 and all the pastors were saying, well, if I had $100,000, this is how I would advertise. This is how I would market. You were supposed to say how you would spend the money on marketing. And his response was, well, first of all, thanks for the 100000 but let's look at everything that we can do for free. Yeah. Like, why Amen. is our first thought, great, I've got money, let me go out and spend it, when really it should be not even what's free, but see, what I would say as a marketer, I would say... First of all, have I clearly identified who my target audience is? And I don't yeah. mean, okay, if it's a community, great. But you need to narrow it down to, like, what are the streets that my community is on? Or, like, in the case of uh, Scott Blair with Grappler's Church or Josh Boyd with Fight Church, you know, having a clearly defined market, who my audience is. Then once yeah. you've got that audience, then the next step is what's the medium that I can use? Yes. To properly reach that audience. And then it's what's the message that is going to resonate using the medium that I've already decided is going to get me there to that audience. But how we do it most of the time is great. I got a hundred thousand dollars. Well, I'm going to run a newspaper ad. I'm going to run a magazine ad. I'm going to, yep. you know, and it's like, but we haven't even defi defined who we're trying to reach. If only the apostle Paul had thought about that, I'll go into Asia minor and I'll run a newspaper ad. I'll hire if, someone to march up and down the, the streets church. for me. Why now, not? I, you know, I mean, come on. You know, he uses the term he's a herald, you know, and of course he, he you know, that's that's what uh, apostle apostolos literally means sent out one, but it means with a message. So Paul was a guy where he went out there. And when you brought up the point earlier, we were like, hey, man, you know, some guys don't know when to quit, you know, in, in, in church plants or whatever. Um, it, what a lot of guys do when they start up a church plant. And this is why most church plants fail. Um, when we're looking at a guy wanting to go, quote unquote, full-time on staff, um, and he doesn't see the beauty or the genius of being bivocational, he doesn't understand that I'm more free. Um, I'm not inhibited by the lack of funds. I'm free like Paul to go wherever I got to go because I can go anywhere and work. It, it's the same reason why the guy who wrote the book Stacking the Deck, um, he trained his church planners to roast coffee and then they could go anywhere, anywhere. 
and open a coffee roasting shop. So even if a church didn't take place uh, there, they started a successful they business. They had great coffee. So, they yeah. had great coffee, and they could just go start another one in another town. But now he owns a business in two places and do the same thing. And so he hardwired his church planners to be able to financially succeed anywhere so that they weren't inhibited um, by lack of funds. They were absolutely free. Money does open doors. It does bring a certain amount of freedom. And I believe that particularly if you understand the gospel and and its implications about money, um, like Jesus said, you know, the children of the world are wiser with their use of money. Jesus told that parable about the guy who used money to open doors, right? He was a guy who knew his boss was going to can him. And so he finds all the people that owe him uh, his master money and he cancels their debt or cut, cuts it in half. And he's opening doors for the future when he's out of house and home. He can go back to his people. So money is seen not as an end of itself that you hoard. It's seen as something that opens doors. It's seen as a means to something else and not personal happiness. In this case, um, the gospel, when Jesus says the children of the world are wiser with their use of money, um, you know, this guy realized he, he, again, he changed the equation, like we said at the beginning. And what a lot of church planners do, the reason their church plans fail is they attach their own finances to the success of the church. In other words, um, maybe they go to plan a church and they don't think I need to be out in the community. I need to get a job there. They go and plant the church and they gamble everything on whether or not this church is going to pop and it's going to be able to pay. Um, your church can pop and still not pay. Mm. You mentioned people not tithing. Well, a good statistic, um, one of the highest tithing denominations reports that um, they're doing well when people tithe 6%. That's one of the highest averages in the country uh, of one of the highest, uh, uh, you know. Uh, See, to me, that makes perfect total sense because you're asking people to give up their money. Yeah. I mean, even though, you know, on one level they're going, okay, well, God's asked me to do this as part of my worship to him. I'm telling you, man, you're asking people to let go of a dime, and that is so difficult. It is. And, you know, the the funny thing is, is let's say, like, you're planning a church. And, again, like I said, the the number one reason I've seen church plants uh, fold is because the guy can't make it financially. And it's always a guy who has the goal of being full-time on paid staff. And they might even shortcut. I think you can you can shortcut God. In other words, God's like, hey, I, I have a plan for you over in this factory, or I have a plan for you over at the DMV. I've got a slot for you. There's people that are going to be right around. They're going to be integral to your church plan. And no you're like, Christian going, would work in the DMV. So just watch <laughs> it right there, buddy. Sorry, pal. I repent or, or the IRS or the, for IRS. that matter. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like when, when the government stopped working recently, it was just like any other day, wasn't it? But here, <laughs> here's a, here's a, <laughs> I didn't notice any change, but, but the bottom line is that God is saying, Hey, I actually have a path. If you would just trust me, you see it as a horrible thing that you got to go to work. But it was kind of like Pete, like, 
you know, we all got the stuff that we don't want to do. And sometimes we talk about work as like, uh, and I know you've talked about it like this, where um, this is the stuff I got to do to pay the bills, but your heart is really burning for ministry. And I, and I can relate to that. And I think we can all relate to that. But there comes a point at which, like for you, when you, when you were doing, uh, when you start up the podcast and the magazine, because both of those are your brain children, right? Um, you were like, hey, this, you know, boom, let's do this. And you were coming back from all these meetings with clients and conferences going, dude, how is it I sit at a table with a group of people church planning? That's never happened to me before. And that that whole definition of bivocational, God has called you to both. He has called you to the secular workplace, and he has called you to ministry. And watch now, when you put the kingdom first, um, God's going to cause them to dovetail, ideally, they're going to just fit tongue and groove now, and you're going to see God sovereignly working through both. Yeah, and I'll just – I know we got to end this, but I'll just finish by saying um, I get the church planner who's thinking, yeah, but you know, I really don't want to do this other work over here. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got this day job, whether it's working at Starbucks or selling real estate, doesn't matter, right? Because you're like, you've got this passion for the church, and for reaching the lost and for discipling. And you're like, that's what I want to be spending my time doing. But you're like, but I got to pay the bill. So I got to do this thing over mm. here. I was telling you before the podcast, I got a gig right now that's paying me pretty well. And I'm like dreading every minute of it. And I'm like, you know, I totally don't want to do this. It, it's, it's paying me well now and it's going to pay me well, you know, every month. And I, I have no heart for it at all. Mm. Like none. I was half hoping the gal wouldn't hire me to do it. But, you know, it's days like that where you're just like, all right, well, I got a cowboy up, suck it up and do it. Yeah. Because that's what I got to do to pay the bills. And the way that you're talking, though, is is still utilizing that to reach people. Yeah. Because you're still being put into a community where uh, whatever type of community it is business community, whatever, where you can actually start meeting and talking to people. Oh, and yeah. one other thing, too, that I was going to say earlier is um, let's say you are working and you're, you know, you're more or less self-employed in how you do things. Um, you know, like for, for me, most of what I do is spent at my house, in my office, behind these three big monitors. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not out in the public, which is actually kind of good. It's better for the public that way. <laughs> Your office actually looks like an evil genius's lair. You know, it's funny because a friend of mine calls his the evil scheme hatchery. <laughs> That's where he thinks <laughs> up all of his ideas. <laughs> but um, but my, my point is, is that one of the things that we did to start reaching out uh, for my marketing business, that a church planner could do this as well, we started running meetup groups. Um, and, you know, amazingly enough, meetup.com, people will come to those meetings. Yeah. And every single month, we've got different people at our meeting. Yeah. And it's crazy. But you could actually hmm. do that in your community and meet new people that way. So even if you are, <laughs> you know, stuck behind a desk or whatever, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a freaking great tool to meet more people. Well, that, that's the thing that amazes me watching you right now is I'm watching you and you're going into like, you know, basically shark tanks, man. You're going in with like these wheelers, dealers, these millionaires, 
and you're like, hey, well, you know, exhibit A, church planner, like you're, you're actually sharing everything that's going on that's in the true. church planner world. <laughs> you know, true. I'm thinking, you know, you're preaching the gospel. You're telling them well, all this stuff. I'm not preaching and, the gospel. I, I, I've yet in to a deliver weird a way, gospel message. No, but in a weird way, I, I get like you're not preaching a sermon, but you're you're telling them about the work of the kingdom in in a, in a roundabout way, which I found fascinating. And it often leads people ask you questions. You'll tell them about the church. I mean, if you just start telling them about the church, that that in itself, you're giving testimony right there. You're sharing testimonies. Well, you know that that's interesting that you bring that up because I am. Um... I did a keynote, I guess it was last week. All these days are blending together at this point. And it was, um, I was asked to, to keynote at the uh, California Association of College Stores. Ironically, they meet in Reno, Nevada. I don't know. It's a California deal, but they meet in Nevada. So they flew me out there. They paid me. And uh, so my job was to share marketing ideas with them. And so I did exactly what you're saying. Because what takes up most of my time? That's what you're going to hear about. Like, I hate going out there and like rethinking of a new thing. I spend whatever I've been learning that month or doing that month, and that's what I train on that month. Yeah. It's like, it's fresh yeah. in my mind. So, everything I'm spending time on is pretty much Church Planner Magazine. And so, I'm in front of, you know, all these college bookstores, you know, UC Merced, uh, UCLA, all these guys. And I'm, you're right. I'm talking to them about Church Planner Magazine yeah. and some of the different things that we do with that. And I'm relating it. Here's how you guys can do it in your business. But I still hold that I don't preach the gospel. Yeah, no, I get you. But you're you're at least getting them, you know, you never know what the Holy Spirit's doing. And I know you've, you know, you've had some awesome conversations with people, you know. And, it does and happen, so, yeah. So, you know, and, and here's the deal. Like, uh you know, when we attach the um, just the bottom line, guys, when you attach uh, the success of your church plant to your personal finances, you're dooming your church plant and yourself to failure. And and this is what I find often when and, and I could tell stories right now, but these guys are like brothers to me. So I don't want to tell their personal tragic stories. But um, there were guys where I was like, man, you really need to get a job. You cannot look at your wife as the sugar mama and have her carry you. I know you've got stories like Francis. Francis Chan, where it worked for him, but that's the exception because your wife will not support your church plan if you do not support the family. And often what happens is um, a guy is waiting, waiting for it to take off. Come on, baby, come on, pay out. And it doesn't lift off the ground quite like he thought he was. People don't tithe or whatever. And in a church plant, you can't expect that. And what happens is you get, you know, kind of dispatches from the front where a guy says, man, we're packing it in. The church plant didn't fail. The guy's personal finances failed. And mm-hmm. all he needed to do was get a job. And God probably would have used him in a more powerful way than he ever would have realized if he had just had the faith. See, I think living by faith is going on into the workplace sometimes. And that's as a guy who started off his career in full-time ministry and spent, gosh, what is it now, 99, so the last 14 years um, after having left that for the for mission and being freed up a little bit more financially, um, doing that. And, and so, you know, here's where we go. We started off in this discussion of finances a couple weeks ago, talking about a support team. It'd be great to have missionary support. Start thinking of yourself and living like a missionary. 
then we talked to Michael Cheshire and we talked about uh, the um, Trojan horse philosophy. You can go back and listen to that on the podcast. And then last week we talked to Frank Viola, who was advocating cheap church, which Hugh Halter presented to us. And today it's just simple. Get a job. See it the way the Apostle Paul, Paul's missionary strategy was to work. I don't want you guys, and I know Pete doesn't want you to end up as one of these tragic stories where the church plant didn't fail. You, you failed to work. And so here's the deal, you know, in, in tying all this up today, um, I, I pray for you that God would give you the faith to follow him, even if it's into the workplace. Yes, there will be a time and a place to be freed up. And Hugh Halter brings up a brilliant point. He says, I, I think the only guys who ought to probably be supported full time are the guys who use the time to train up others just like them. And that's such a biblical, you mentioned discipleship, Pete. That's the heart of it, reproducing yourself. When Paul goes full-time in Ephesus, he's literally reproducing himself at breakneck speed there and sending out multiple church plants from Ephesus' home base. And I, I have to agree with you on that point. I think if you're not reproducing yourself, then you're actually misusing the funds. You ought to be set apart to reproduce like Jesus was, um, like Paul was, like others were. And so that's it today. We just want to... Um, uh, encourage you to um, go on to our website or go into iTunes and give us a review. Pete, how do they do that? Well, if you uh, if you get Church Planner Magazine, you can just uh, leave a review, look us up in the App Store, leave a review. If you've left one before, do it again. Uh, every time we have to put out a new version of it, like we had to do for the new iOS 7 updates, um, all of the older views get stored, but they're not front and center. And it it actually helps us reach more church planners when we have reviews. So um, because then what Apple does is they start to promote us and stuff like that. So we would absolutely love and appreciate and covet your uh, your reviews. So it, as long as they're good, no no four stars, only five star or better. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's, and that's you how know. They do it. We, we want to, uh, we really want to, uh, help you guys as much as we can, but we want to help more people. If, if you put a review on for us, I've got an, an offer on here. I've got five copies of Mike Cheshire's, uh, book, Why We Eat Our Own. And to the first five people that go on there and leave a review, we're going to give you a copy of that. Just email the site and um, let us know what you've done it. Link link uh, what your name was and we give us your address. And if you were one of the first five people to do that, you'll get a free book in the mail. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget Centralized Conference in Costa Mesa, Costa, if I can say it, Costa Mesa, California, January 25th, 26th. I'll be there. 23rd, Pete will 24th, be there. 25th, actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 23rd. I am going to be there uh, with a Winnebago wrapped with our logo. And Provided a you bunch give of, us that Winnebago. Yeah, and, and a bunch of uh, vertically challenged ninjas and uh, <laughs> that would be flying around doing samurai kicks and waving plastic uh, samurai swords. You don't want to miss that. Plus all the amazing speakers that they have lined up there. Hugh will be there. We should uh, get Alan them lightsabers, man. Lightsabers. Oh, like Jedi. Yeah. Okay, Jedi. Forget Jedi it. Jedi yeah. ninjas. Jedi ninjas. Yoda. <laughs> I'm going to quit while I'm behind. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, hey, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you've got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing and get a job. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music